Mark gets this like energetic woohoo, and I get. You know. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, it's because he loves Mark more, so I, I understand. I get that. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. That's, that was not a. Uh, there are certain guys asking for applause. That's not it. And when I was a, uh, when I was just looking at ministry for the first time. I had the opportunity to teach in uh, an adult Sunday school class, and I'd been teaching in youth group for a long time, and uh, I have to be honest with you, I was afraid of teaching in the adult Sunday school class. I didn't feel like I was the smartest guy in the room. I didn't think that I knew more than the people around me, and um, you know, I I'm got just comfortable with that position, just so you know. It wasn't that I got beyond that ever. Um, but I went, as I went in there, I was nervous, and I remember the subject was the Holy Spirit, and they were going to do eight-week Sunday school class on the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, we discussed it and went through it, and, and uh, the thing that surprised me is that discussing the doctrine of the Holy Spirit divided us. It didn't unify us. People left hurt. People left frustrated. And since the early 1900s, discussions about the Holy Spirit have been uh, filled with some angst in the church. There have been things that have been said that have caused hurt feelings and, you know, which gifts are still around. And here we choose this summer to lean in to the discussion of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know if the Holy Spirit is alive among us, we will be unified. And we will be encouraged. And we will know the love of God more intimately. And we will know peace with each other more intimately. We don't need to be afraid of discussing this and leaning in. We may not all end up on the exactly the same page. But that's okay. There are certain things that we can all agree on that we can get around and get excited about and ask God to do powerfully among us. Today we see and continue the conversation. Thank you, Andy and Mark, for beginning the sermon series. I was so encouraged by their sermons and so excited about what God is already doing in us. Can we live the miraculous spirit-filled life? Have we settled for a lesser relationship with the Holy Spirit, Andy asked. I loved that question. Have we settled? Mark talked about being born again and encouraged us to shine, if not sing a song before we left. About shining in the power of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, they mentioned that we are a new creation. As you see it on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And as I, we read that, maybe some of you feel like where am I a new creation? There are still so many ways that I'm struggling. There are still so many concerns that I have in my life that don't feel like God has had this impact on my life. In John 1, 12 and 13, Mark addressed this one. But to all who did receive him but believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God 
And one more verse. All right, I'll look it up here. It says, uh, Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God is the one who caused us to be born. He did this work in us, this new work in us. And, and when we became believers and received Christ, He breathed new life into us and gave us the Holy Spirit. And this new creation life, this new life that we have, should be evident to others around us. And I have seen it again and again, not only in my own life, but in other people's lives. But at the same time, I have asked the question, why not more? Why am I still struggling with that sin? Why is this relationship still, why is it so difficult? Why are two Christians not getting along? I have broken relationships since becoming born again. And they're partly my fault. Am I truly born again? Is the Spirit really powerfully working within me? Where is our hope? Today we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is the one who sustains and sanctifies believers. We're looking at two passages of Scripture, Romans 8 and 1 Peter, but like you've already experienced, we're going to be jumping around. This is a topical sermon. We are going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit impacts our lives, what we can hope for, what we can expect, and what we can do to expect greater impact. But as the first question I would ask you, as we go to prayer, do you want God to impact your life powerfully? Do you want to be changed? Do you want to overcome sin? Do you want healed relationships? The Spirit of God's power works in us to that end. Let's pray and ask Him to do just that. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Jesus, Holy Spirit, who intercedes for us. We come to you, a broken people. The last year plus has highlighted for many of us, the ways that you have impacted our lives, but for many of us, the ways that we still have a long way to go. Lord, we are asking that by the power of your Spirit that you would work mightily today. That you would use these scriptures to hone us, to give us hope, to give us faith, to set our minds on Christ so that we can live and honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The Holy Spirit, the one who sustains and sanctifies believers. If we have the Spirit in us, how are we in the Spirit? What does that look like? In what way does the Spirit control us? Romans 8 and verse 9, our first verse that we're looking at today says, and if you just stay in Romans 8, if you have your device, and then we'll take you to all the rest. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's pretty strong. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've been saved, then you've been given the Holy Spirit. 
Ephesians tells us that this is a down payment, that we have the Holy Spirit given to us as a promissory note for the, res- for the, for the glorification that is to come in Christ. If you have be- believed in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. But how? The facts are, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then you aren't saved, and we're going to address that today. It is my great hope that everyone who is not saved today would be saved and would know the power of the Holy Spirit in them. It is my hope that anyone who is saved and has the Holy Spirit would know and be encouraged that they can be filled with the Spirit and their life can be powerful. Maybe differently than you think. The kind of power that makes you forgive the kind of power that isn't necessarily emotional as much as it is relational. But here we have the Word of God saying, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. What does that mean, not in the flesh? Well, not in the flesh is just talking about our natural lives, the things that are natural to us. And because we were born in sin, sin is natural to us. But we are no longer simply in the flesh, but in the spirit. And spiritually, scripturally speaking, that comparison is in the flesh, is living according to the rules that we were under when we gave in to sin, endorsed sin, affirmed sin, agreed with it. I will be angry. I will remain angry. Us versus them. Jaw clenches. Make them pay, manipulate, dominance. That's the world. The world overcomes evil with evil, which doesn't ever overcome evil. But God, by the power of his Spirit, overcomes evil with good, and that's in the Spirit. But you are in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and I love the word dwells. This is relationship. This is relational. This is Jesus at the very end when he's getting ready to go, talking about John 15 with his friends, and he says, abide in me, live with me. I'm going to leave, but he's offering a deep relationship, a deeper relationship than they've experienced thus far. One where God is with them and living with them and in their homes and in their relationships and involved in their disputes, involved in their concerns, involved And COVID-19, with us, dwelling with us. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. This is the first moment that you should have pause. You should ask yourself, do you have the Spirit of God? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? Now, I have to tell you that when I was a young man, um, I wrestled with passages like this mightily. I don't know, do I? Is Is there a glow over my head right now, everybody? Is there like from the old pictures with the saints? Do you see the, anybody see it? Kind of gray? Okay, so the light, help me with the lighting. Can you give me a light glow? What does it mean we've got the Spirit of God? What does that look like? How are we in the Spirit? In John 14, 18 to 21, 
It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you, and, and you in me, and I in you. It is the closest of relationships that he's talking about. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. There is this intimate relationship by the power of the Spirit that turns into obedience. And if you know Romans well, I'm picking a couple of verses out of Romans to study, but if you were to go before, you see the law offers us nothing. You can't produce religious activity and be pleasing to God, but being in a pleasing relationship with God produces spiritual life that manifests itself in wholesome, good, forgiving, loving, gracious interactions with people and ourselves and others and God. It's miraculous. I loved this about youth ministry. There would be a kid who would bring a friend to the youth ministry and that friend would become a Christian and that friend would go home and the parents would become Christians. I can't tell you how many times that happened. Why? Because they saw the power of the Spirit in that junior high kid as that kid's life was radically changed. Young people here, do you have any idea the impact that you can have in your schools, in your neighborhoods, with your friends? Don't think you have to wait to have an impact. Don't wait. Parents, adults, do you have any idea the impact you can have by the power of the Spirit? Or have you gotten comfortable in a life that has no impact? Do you like it that way? Just a little bit of Jesus, please. Just a little bit of the Holy Spirit. And yet the command in Ephesians 5.18 is do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So we learn that you can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but not filled. Not everybody is filled with the Holy Spirit. Not everybody is drinking deeply from that living water that Jesus offered. What makes it so that Christians have stunted growth and lives that live way below the bar? I can't tell you how many people have said to me, well, I can't teach, I can't lead, I can't be involved. I, I don't, I'm not that kind of guy, I'm not that kind of girl. What exactly does that mean? Does it mean that God can't do that with you? He can't train you up and raise you up and use you in service? I can't tell my friends about Christ. I mean, I don't know enough about the Scriptures. Well, I think that God would say, lean in and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit accomplishes things in us that changes the way we treat people. In Acts 6, 3 through 5a, I don't know if we have that one up, but let me read it. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. 
So this filling of the Holy Spirit is linked with two things here in this passage. The filling of the Holy Spirit speaks of wisdom and knowledge and also how other people see them. People can see the Holy Spirit in you. Also in this passage, we see that faith has something to do with it. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Faith precedes being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does faith in myself look like? Well, I have preached many sermons, not audibly, of my faith in myself, to my family, to my friends. I do it when I step out and get busy serving God or serving others and assume that I have my tank, it's full enough, let's go, and I serve until it's expended or I get stuck, and then I cry out to God. Faith believes that I am only saved by the power of God, and here's the, I think we would all agree with that, right? It's for by grace we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We all agree, I think, that it's only by grace and by faith that we're saved. But I don't know that we're all convinced and all agree that it's only by faith that we stand. It's only by the power of the Spirit that we accomplish anything that lasts. Now, I might be able to fake it in a way that you all are impressed with me, and I might be able to fake it, but you know who sees when I'm faking it? My kids. Because I can't sustain it at home. My wife, people on the road, they see it. Truth be told, I don't have a Jesus bumper sticker on my car because I'm afraid I can't sustain it and that I won't act like a Christian. But by the power of the Spirit, with faith in the Spirit, as much as it is the will of the Father that we would be saved, it is the will of the Father that we would stand and be sanctified. Now, I want you to know sanctified is it's in my title, but that word seem, might seem scary. It's the saving work that the Spirit does in us from the moment that we are saved until we go and are glorified. We are justified by faith, We are sanctified by faith and the power of the Spirit. We cannot have a healthy church unless the Spirit of God is at work in our church. We cannot. In fact, we desperately need God to descend on this church through His Spirit and fill us. What does a church look like that's filled with the Holy Spirit? What does a husband look like that's full of the Holy Spirit? What does a child who has to be obedient to parents look like that's filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, it looks like Christ. How would Christ do that? Because the Spirit of God and the Son of God and the Father are a trinity and they are united and you'll see that in the words that come, but It's our command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Exodus 35, 31, and I, as a carpenter, I love this. 
God, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. That means the very craftsmanship that they were given was being used by the Spirit of God and was given to them by the Spirit of God to build the tabernacle. So the workers were filled with the Spirit of God so that their work could be worship. And that's true of everything that we do. That we can be mothers that worship God. Does that mean every day we're going to rise up and be filled with happiness? No. It's Jesus. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit the last week of his life. He wasn't giddy. That's not the mark of a Spirit-filled church. There's knowledge. There's wisdom. There's God moving in us and doing something. That doesn't mean that joy isn't part of it. Joy is part of it, absolutely. A joy that makes no sense, that is deep, that reaches into hospital rooms. Is healing part of it? Yes, it doesn't mean that God heals every time or we'd still have 11 apostles here with us. God doesn't heal all of our diseases and all of our wounds, but He will ultimately. And He heals the Spirit of God. The power of the Spirit of God still heals, I'm convinced. But he's much more interested in healing our hearts and the way that we care for people and the way that we treat people and the way that we handle difficult times instead of taking us out of those times. I have seen, as I watched from behind, a person who was sleeping with her boyfriend go through worship with her hands in the air, with tears in her eyes, singing worship to God, and then leaving and have have no impact on the way that she treated people. And she never thought those were in opposition to each other. Is being filled with the Spirit simply raising my hands and crying when we sing? I hope not. And I'm not saying don't raise your hands and cry when you sing. I want joy. And I want you to do what you're comfortable with in your presence. One of the things I love about the bridge is that we don't tell you which way to handle that. If you are a guy that puts his hands firmly in his pockets, and have at it. Worship God. But do you know that person can be filled with the Spirit as much as you? It's not a mark of the Spirit to be energetic, alone, or animated. In fact, the mark of the Spirit has to do with character. And character is often corrected in difficulties. Jesus warned his disciples that they were going to have persecution and difficulties. But I'll be with you in them. How are we in the Spirit? The truth is that some of us have chosen to live lives that may be far beneath what the Spirit intended for us. And then go on living as if that's normal and that God will fix that someday. I'm just an angry person. But what a cool thing to see taking that anger to the Spirit of God and letting Him correct you and causing you to grow up. If we have the Spirit in us, how are we in the Spirit? If we have the Spirit in us, how are we alive? How is it that we're alive? 
That's what the next verse tells us in verse 10. It says, But if a Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's a new word added to the mix as we, we look at the spirit. And notice that he begins by switching from the spirit to Christ. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Jesus did the same thing in John 14 and 15 and 16. He went from the helper, the advocate, the paraclete, is going to, I'm going to send him to you, but that's abiding in me. We have God in us through his spirit. And he gives us life. It's the life that he offered to us when he was speaking to the woman at the well. When he was speaking to Nicodemus and saying that he needed to be born again. There is a life that is, Mark mentioned it last week, that it's like wind. It's something that it breathes new life into us. And I've, I've experienced it now for 40 years. I know something about this life. I've seen God change me. When I began my walk with Christ, I thought that it would probably be a couple of years before I had all the sins licked. I thought I only had two or three to handle. I could list them out. If you would go back to my original notebook that I took my prayers in, I thought I thought like a child. And oh, the devastation to see that I was still struggling. I went off to Moody to consider being a pastor, and while at Moody, there were serious character issues that bubbled up. Pride. I started learning more about God. I went back home to my friends, and I knew a thing or two, which is about it, really, a thing or two. I could use some big words. I knew where that's from. I know where it's from. I'm a Christian. But God wasn't done with me. God allowed me to be humbled, even humiliated, for his good purposes, and the Spirit was in that. And you go back like a child again and cry out, Would you do something new in me? You see, it's Christ in you. And even though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Jesus was the righteous one who bought our salvation. Jesus is the righteous example that is our example for sanctification. Jesus has provided the power through the spirit so that we can stand and so that we can grow and so that we can get better. What are the sins that you're conquering, friends? Or let me ask it differently. What are the sins you're comfortable with? What are the ones you're saying, oh, that's enough. I really don't want God touching that. In 1 John chapter 6 and verse through 1 through 10. I'm sorry, um, it's not, it's 6 through 10. 1 John is a book that if you choose to study it, has, it could be described as signs of life. How do you know you're alive? And the expectations are that you are being changed. 
But it says that if you claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. What does that mean? That means if you claim that your worship is awesome on Sunday and you choose not to forgive and you choose to hate your brother and you choose to despise your wife and you choose to blame other people for your actions and you choose to be comfortable with your sexual sin, if you choose to be comfortable with the things that you do that avoid God and avoid being a presentation of Him, He calls you a liar. And if you followed this through, actually, it would look something like leave your offering at the altar and go and be right with your brother. Go fix this. Go bring this before the Spirit and ask the Spirit to do something new in you. I don't know if you thought that this is where we were going to go with a Spirit-filled life, but it is what I'm praying for, that we would be Christian, not just on Sunday, that I would be Christian and that God would continue to change me. I have such a long way to go, but I look back and see God has brought me such a distance already. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light, if we are filled with the Spirit, if we have the Spirit of God in us, we become unified. What is the singular biggest reason churches divide? How they do communion. No. How they do baptism? Nope. The biggest single reason churches divide, the biggest single reason Christian marriages divide is because they don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And they're not submitting to God. Oh, the stories we could tell of people that have claimed to be Christians and have chosen to live that out loud in such a way that others know, non-believers know they're Christians, and then they fall. I'm not so interested in telling those stories. Oh, the stories that we could tell of ourselves. I'm much more interested in leaning into, how am I doing? Am I truly filled with the Holy Spirit? Am I submitting to him? The truth is that there is a war going on in us between death and life. And 1 John goes on, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I love those two verses together. One, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Second, if you pretend you're not a sinner, you're lying. If you act like you're still not struggling, come on. It gives us the freedom to come to church and get what we need. Don't you know that our marriages are struggling? Don't you know that people are having difficulty getting along with each other? Don't you know that people hold grudges? Don't you know that right here in this room, we could be on the brink of dividing if the Spirit of God doesn't continue to fill us and fill us afresh? 
The health of our church is directly related to how well we are connected to Jesus Christ through the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if your pastor becomes proud when he becomes proud, if your pastor fails you when he fails you, it's simple. We repent and we come back and ask to be filled. This should be a safe place for us to say, I'm sorry. I messed that up. That was not what God would have wanted from me. The Spirit will not condone our pride where we dig our heels in and say, it's not my fault. He did it first. Those people, Lord, that you gave me, they don't clap as loud for me when I start. <laughs> for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Do not feed the ego. <laughs> How are we alive? Well, we are directly related to how we're alive in Christ. You see, Jesus didn't start life with us and then send us out to walk in this life alone. He saved us by grace and by faith, and he causes us to remain and to stand and be sanctified by grace and by faith. And this is wonderful. I have asked God, why isn't it easier? There are some sins when I initially chose to follow Christ that fell away, and that's why I thought that's what it would be like for the rest of my life. Oh, identified sin, give it to God, I'm fixed. I spent years with sins that seemed to own me. And I would cry out, God, why? Why isn't this easier? I know you're powerful enough to end this right now, and I know that you're powerful enough. What's the problem? You know, I have a, uh, the privilege of having some construction skills that I'm able to use for my children now. And it's a joy. I get to go in their homes and work on their homes. Wouldn't it be easier for me just to pay somebody and stay home? I mean, let's be honest, I, I got to spend 16 hours working maybe last time. That's a lot of driving, a lot of, I mean, I could have stayed in the pool, I could have paid somebody. What's the benefit of working beside my kids? Am I going to do a better job? Am I going to get done faster? No. The benefit is I get to be with my kids. I'll let you in on a little secret, don't tell my kids. I just want to be with them. I just want to them to know my love. I believe now the reason Jesus didn't just save us and then fix us completely, he built us to need him every day. And he gives us wins to encourage us. And there are things that we can't have until we've prayed more, till we've sought him more. Do you read the Bible like it's a lifeline? Do you seek God's face like it's the difference between life and death? 
Because it is. That's how he made us. He made us, recreated us to live with him and only with him. We reflect his life. And with that, we move to our final point. How do our lives reflect resurrection? If Jesus, if the Spirit fills us, how do our lives reflect the resurrection? Verse 11 says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Another way to say that is if the almighty God who can do anything he wants dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, why is that important? Well, first of all, it was incredibly powerful for him to raise Jesus from the dead, but in that moment he conquered sin. If the one who conquered sin, the one who was first to be resurrected and is causing us and calling us to be resurrected, The one who was righteous and was an example for us has now given us the chance to be righteous and live out this righteousness in such a way that the power of God is on display. How is the power of God on display? Why doesn't God let us just heal people? Wouldn't it be cool if we just opened up a Christian church and anybody who was sick, we could lay hands and they'd be healed? Well, let me ask it a different way. Why doesn't God, by the power of the Spirit, heal everybody? Would everybody believe? Well, they didn't when Jesus walked the planet. In fact, leaving you in what you're struggling with, because our good shepherd is our good shepherd, I trust that God has you where he wants you so that you'll come to him. Now, he may heal, But he doesn't want us to draw people to him by our amazing feats that everybody can see, that we get the glory for, by the way. Why can't I heal on command? In part because my ego couldn't handle it. And I hope you're not hearing that I don't believe that the Spirit of God is still healing people. I just want you to think differently about what we're hoping for. I want us to hope that the Spirit of God will give us the character of Christ. That he would transform us. Make us a people that love just like he commanded us. That's what we're supposed to be known for, by the way. When CNN comes on and tells a story about the church, they're supposed to talk about how loving we are because we love so authentically. A new command I give you, that you love one another. This is only accomplished by the Spirit. We need a miracle, and it's the miracle we pray for. Do our lives reflect the resurrection? If the Spirit of God dwells in you, there's power. There's resurrection power. Romans 8.13 says, If we are killing the Spirit, we we are killing by the Spirit, we are killing that sinful nature by the Spirit, it speaks of a war that's going on. 
Paul is admitting there is a war going on within us. And the closer that we are to God through the Spirit, the more that we overcome sin. In John 15, Jesus spoke of abiding in Christ. He spent a bunch of time talking about the Holy Spirit before he left, the night before he left. He spent a bunch of time talking about what it means to abide in me, what it means to live with me, what it means to walk through life with me, what it means to have an intimate relationship with God. We all desperately need an intimate relationship with God. This is why we choose to grow. This is why we as a church are going to move this year from gather to grow and hopefully do a midweek service where we come together and we work specifically on both of those. Have a meal together, gather together, but then push each other to really grow. I don't want to hear one day, Todd, nice church, very friendly, but nobody grew up in their faith. People just came in once a week and checked in and they, they were happy to never open their Bibles the rest of the week. Never occurred to them that they could live. How is it that we are filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, if you were to see Romans 8, 4 through 5, and I hope you can put that one up even though it's out of order. Romans 8, 4 through 5, this precedes our passage. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those according, who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What does it look like to walk with the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to have a life that's flourishing? But well, we saw some really key words there. Walk with the Spirit. Invite Him into what you're going through, whether it's driving or working. Or My very best days in construction were when I did construction, offering it as an offering to God. And that construction then became worship. It was something so much more than putting up metal studs and drywall. It was the best I could do. Every arena of your life, the Holy Spirit could be invited into. There is a walking with part that is required for filled with the Holy Spirit. It is remarkable to me that God doesn't force himself on us and make us walk by the Spirit. He's still letting us walk away. But it doesn't stop just with walking. He mentions setting your minds. Set your minds on the Holy Spirit. It's a mindset. And what does a mindset look like? Well, for me, it was memorizing Scripture. For me, it was talking about God. For me, it was prayer. All of these things are a way that I spend time with God. Now, there, you can memorize Scripture and pray and talk about Christ and never grow. But you're not doing it for relationship. You're doing all those things for the test or the Sunday school class. Or... You can actually do all those things and never grow. But when it's something that is a mindset on Christ, a mindset on God, a mindset looking at his word, praying and talking to God and including him, he will take the most unlikely people and use them in his kingdom. He had to humble me first. He had to build character into me. But he took someone 
who I wasn't the only one who didn't think I could amount to, wasn't going to amount to much. But you know who thought I would, would amount to something? God in Christ. God saw something in me in the Spirit, and like those disciples that He picked that were unlikely, I think He delighted to use me so that everybody here can know you too. Grow up. Let's grow up together. Let's stop underachieving. Let's stop acting like this is good enough or that he'll fix it later. Let's stop acting like unforgiveness or hatred is okay. Let's stop acting like the way that we treat people on the road is acceptable or the way that we treat people at work and that's, you know, God just doesn't understand business. Baloney. God walked with us. He understands just fine. Do you understand that your life can be miraculous in every arena of your life? It's going to cost you your pride. You're not going to be able to say you did it. But you can shine. When we started the church, um, I know you guys have heard me say this, I wanted to know what offends God in church. I asked him. Not so that I could point out anything in anybody else. I wanted to know if we became something, when would it offend you, God? Another way to do it is when, say it is, how can we please you? And at the core of it, I believe that we as a body of Christ are supposed to emulate the character of Christ so that when people come through that door, they feel loved by God. They feel invited by God. The kind of church I want would take a miracle. So we prayed. And I believe that we've seen God work in our church. But I believe we're, we can go, we can grow. We've got so far to go, right? I mean, we, this isn't just church how we could be. Would you dream with me and pray with me that we could be a beacon of the character of Christ in our community? That people, when they interact with us individually or as a group, would not understand how those people love so much. And we could give glory to God, say, no, we, we knew we couldn't do it. We cried out to Christ. We set our minds on Christ. I want to conclude and invite a response from three different people, three different positions First, for the non-believers. For those who have not chosen to put their faith in Jesus Christ and those who are going through the motions and those, maybe you have the person next to you fooled, but you've never trusted Christ. And you've never been filled with the Spirit. I would ask you, you know, as I thought about it, I thought of Jesus on the Temple Mount saying, come to me and I'll give you living water. 
And I think about the hundreds, if not thousands, that passed by him and never listened. I'm inviting you to listen. I'm inviting you to ask the Spirit of God to show himself to you. And I'm asking you to step out in faith and pray. I would hope that all of us would choose to follow Christ. For the doubters. So if you've got the non-believers, now for the doubters, I want to address you. What do I mean by doubters? There are some here today that have seen precious little change in their lives since they've become a Christian. There are some here that have given in and said, this is just who I am. I would like to believe that most of us are in that position to some degree. But some of you have gotten to the place where you are doubting that God could fix it even if you let him. I want you to know that the Spirit of God is inviting you into a deep relationship with him. I would encourage you to stop telling God what he can't do and ask him to do it. For the person who is committing adultery today and no one knows, I'm telling you, God can save you from that stronghold. From the person who always gossips, I've always been a gossip, and I'm just not, I'm going to die a gossip, and that's okay. Could it be that God made that more difficult so that you would have a deeper relationship with him? I'm inviting you to trust him. I think um, my experience is, is that a small percentage of people feel mature in their faith in church, and a great majority feel like they'll never measure up. For that never measure up group, I want you to know you're in a good place if you'll just turn to Christ. You're right, you don't measure up. It's okay. But in Christ, you've seen nothing yet. Finally, for those who have taken ground, have tasted that living water, have seen sins be put away, I encourage you to ask God what next. I promise you you're not perfect. I promise you you have way farther to go than you know. And I promise you that if you ask God to point out something that he wants you to entrust to the Holy Spirit and change, that he'll give it to you. This isn't, I got those three things taken care of and I can put it in my testimony now and I'm done till Jesus returns. I think that he is, God is actively sanctifying us through the Holy Spirit from the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior till the moment that we die or he returns. That means last breath on that bed, there's still work to be done in my heart. And I can surrender afresh.
Many, many years ago, I got in front of a Sunday school class, and the things that I said caused people angst, and it caused people to divide. And I scratched my head and thought, that's not it. That's not the power of the Spirit. I want the Spirit of God to unite us, to fill us, to sanctify us and send us. Why are we studying the Holy Spirit? Not so that we can argue about the details. We can all agree we desperately need God to change our character. Let's get around that and pray to that end. Let's do that now as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our helper, for our encourager, for our advocate, for the one who fills us, for the one who sustains us, for the one who sanctifies us. Thank you that you didn't leave us alone, you didn't leave us as orphans, but you chose to live with us intimately and go through our lives and care about the details of our lives. Thank you that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf when we don't know how to pray. Father, there may be some here today that are just barely hanging on to hope. By the power of your Spirit, would you join them in prayer and teach them to pray? It is our great desire to be pleasing to you, Father, and we can't begin to do that without your Spirit. Would your Spirit please fill us and fill our church, and would you get all the glory, and would you use us for your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen.